Well, welcome to Mastermind. I think we're living in a culture today that tends to divide us. We divide over you know, our parenting styles, we divide over our politics, we divide over religion. Is there a way to master our mind and our thoughts so that people who disagree with us, we can still not only tolerate them, but actually befriend people who disagree with us? I mean, that's kind of the nature of a real friendship is somebody who we're still friends and have a relationship even if we disagree. So what are some of the thoughts that keep people from being in a relationship when they disagree with one another? And what are some of the new healthy or truthful thoughts that could help us to really tolerate differences, not only tolerate them, but embrace differences of opinion? When working with clients, oftentimes conflict is a big source or a big focus of our time. We're in a lot of conflict constantly. No matter what you're doing, you're constantly in conflict. You're in conflict at work, you're in conflict at home. And that's usually typically when two ideas or two viewpoints come together and they're just kind of vastly different. Or maybe you have different goals than your spouse or you have a different belief or opinion. Whatever the case may be, conflict, and we're talking about that. So there's a few things that clients may present with. They may present with a automatic belief that um, in order to be loved, I must be perfect and win. So what does that look like? Well, try winning every argument. Yeah. Right. Yeah, my need to be right. That might be the mm -hmm. lens. I have to be right whether I'm I am right or be not. Right all the time. That's the domineering thought, right? Yes. So you play that out in all of your relationships. Try that and work, right? I have to be right all the time. I have to be the one right. So that really damages those relationships, prevents you from listening and being open. Uh, other thoughts might be that if I don't get exactly what I want, the outcome that I want, then I'm going to be miserable. So we may walk around believing that things should happen in a certain way. We should all over ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have this expectation of the world around us that just doesn't meet reality. And then another one I think that I see more prevalent today is we've really taken our opinions and our beliefs and we've made it part of who we are and our identity. And that's a problem because when you hear you're wrong today, it's not that Oh, Chad, you made a mistake. You, you misquoted that, but that's okay. You can, no, it's you're a failure now, right? Because that that error is now part of your identity. Or the flip side, I feel superior, right? Because here's my opinion on parenting, for example. I parent the right way. It's actually not just out here. It's here. I am my parenting style. You have a different parenting style. So if you criticize my parenting style, not are you wrong, but I'm right. And therefore, I need to let you know you're wrong. Um, or I need to disassociate with people who are so wrong. And so I think you're right, exactly. Tying our opinions to our identity. You are far more than your opinion on politics. I'm far more than my opinion on religion. I'm far more than my opinion on whatever the topic. But our culture has forced us to glue our identity to our opinions. And the problem with that is you never grow because you never listen to a challenging idea or belief. And because you never listen to that challenging idea or belief, you you don't change your behaviors and you don't, achieve the best possible version of you that you can achieve. And that is sad because you're so, you could be so much more, but we're limiting ourselves when we start to put these bookends and say, I'm not going to have somebody who disagrees with me politically in my life. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they challenge you to see something different, or maybe that person doesn't believe in the same faith I do. So we're going to, and I see that a lot, right? So when people have different theological beliefs, they, they kind of flock together in their own little groups, but they never expand out and get challenged. And that, that can lead to these conflicts that never get resolved because you're never listening. Carl Rogers 
was very good about saying unconditional acceptance of the other person. And that positive regard and that unconditional acceptance means I'm listening to exactly what you're saying. And one way to overcome this is maybe reflect on what that person says to you. Just repeat it. Summarize it. They'll know that you listened. You'll know that you listened. And you'll frame their thought in a way that maybe makes sense to you. Yeah, when I think in our series Mastermind, that's exactly the case. Because how are any of us going to grow or think differently if you don't get challenged with how you're currently thinking? So being around people who might push, they might prod. And if the truth is the truth, it should stand up to questioning, even rigorous questioning. Yet how do we do that? Because I think it's important in families and work environments. How do we create something that's sustainable, that can be anchored to, even in the midst of our differences on a variety of opinions? Man, that guy had some good stuff to say up there. That's amazing. <laughs> so we are going to talk about today, you know, we live in an increasingly fragmented and increasingly uh, polarized culture. And Christians can certainly be... Uh, a huge part of the problem. Uh, conservatives can be part of the problem. Progressive people can be part of the problem. It's like everybody talks about this idea uh, of, of being tolerant and kind, but it's like, well, I can't find any of that tolerance and kindness all around here. And, and where is that? And what is the unique resources that the message of Jesus offers properly applied that fixes this problem or at least helps think about this problem differently? That's what we're going to look at today, and we're, and we're using the idea of mastermind in this series with a letter that Paul wrote to some friends in Rome, and he says, if you, if you want to think differently and be different, you got to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, the pattern that says you, you push away and people who think differently than you are wrong. Don't be conformed to that pattern, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've talked about the, the game mastermind, how we renew our mind and think differently. And that God has a code, a certain way that he wants to show us how we can deal with life. And even this particular issue today, God has a code for us that goes against our current cultural code. Because I think for many of us, we live in a culture today, as we mentioned already, that says, hey, my perspective, for example, on this issue, whatever the issue is, my perspective is right. And anyone who thinks that my perspective is wrong, I can't be friends with. So as soon as you, the wrong person, decide to switch to understanding my perspective on this is right, then we can get along and move forward. Right? And so there's no compatibility. There's no way to get together. And, and it's not just our perspective, right? It might be another issue we say, like I mentioned, my parenting style. I think that you should give more freedom. And therefore, I think you're a hovering parent. And that's wrong, being a hovering parent. Right? And they look at you and say, no, you're, you're a careless parent because you don't have any boundaries, don't care about your kids, right? And so this group calls this person fearful and this person calls this person negligent. And all of a sudden, instead of dialoguing the, the pros and cons of both consequences or structure and relationship, we just demonize the other person. We despise the other person. We talk or gossip about the other person because what's clearly wrong to us is something they see as right. Sometimes it's politics, and certainly politics has divided people on almost every subject, and sadly, we live in a time that every single subject has been politicized. So now, <laughs> even if politics used to be something that was in the corner, it now affects every topic we could possibly talk on, and we end up dividing over those topics. And it might be over the size of government or the, the market or what role it plays or, or what they should do or shouldn't do or human freedom or the value of life. And, and what we see is right, the other person sees is wrong. And so we just push them off. They are the bad guys because they have a different perspective. Or sometimes it's just making a point. And this is true in a marriage. This is true with our kids. We raise them a certain way and they've come to a different conclusion. 
something that we say is bad, they now think is good. And we're probably may not even change our opinion, and they might change their opinion. So how are we going to get along? How are we going to still be a family? How are we still going to work together if the only mindset we have is until you line up with me, we cannot continue a relationship? That's a problem. I have uh, some family members. My Aunt Lynn is really good friends with my, my cousin Michelle, and they have been through a lot together. In fact, my cousin, Michelle's brother Merrick, Last time I saw him was when I went on a trip to Sturgis with my dad. We were riding the motorcycles through Needles Highway, and it just so happened that my cousin, I hadn't seen him in 20 years, showed up. And we just had a great time catching up and telling stories, playing a, a game my aunt loves and my grandmother introduced us to called Mean Uno. It's like regular Uno, but you can put a draw four on top of a draw four on top of a draw four and make somebody draw 12. It's pretty awesome. I hadn't seen him or played in a while, and, and uh, just it was the last time I saw him, actually, because about a year later, unexpectedly, he died. And as a family, Michelle and Lynn, for example, they had just been through it all. You know, one of their favorite people, seeing them die and mourn together and grieve together. Decades of relationship as niece and aunt. But man, the minute this last election came up, one decided to be for Trump and one decided to be for Biden. And did you know one of them cut off complete contact in just the entire relationship? 40 years of grieving, connecting, loving, lunches and dinners was reduced down to one particular person in one particular election. Isn't there a better way? I did a wedding recently as a friend to attend our church, and, and he's a... Uh, Kind of, as he says, he's a, he's a red stater with all the red state uh, views on everything, and, and he fell in love with uh, a college professor who's a blue stater. And they asked me to come and do the wedding, and they said, hey, why don't you tell lots of political jokes at the wedding? <laughs> no, no. One side of the room will laugh, the other side of the room will hate me the entire time. But I tell you, it was fun. We got up there, and again, half the room was kind of on one side of the aisle, the other half was maybe from the other side of the aisle, or perspective on literally every issue. And uh, they weren't particularly religious, so they asked for a non-religious ceremony. But I did open with one scripture. I said, now, guys, you're trying to do what our, 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 our country cannot do. You're trying to unite red states and blue states and the bonds of marriage. I said, so remember, God has a very important commandment about this. Thou shalt not murder, right? <laughs> and we just had a great time. We played, we told stories together, we interacted together, and we just enjoyed each other's company despite our different perspectives. It's been interesting to see his friendship uh, and relationship and now marriage with his wife as they're learning to love each other despite disagreeing with everything. So what does Christianity offer to this? Well, here's what's unique, and I'm not saying all Christians practice this, right? There's a religious bent of this that doesn't in any way look like this. So I'm talking about the main message of the Bible, properly applied, allows you to disagree vehemently and still love passionately. It's one of the few ways of thinking and perspectives that allows you to not, you have to agree with me to love you. I don't even have to change my mind to befriend you. I can disagree with you vehemently and still love you passionately as my daughter, as my father, as my colleague, as my friend. When you build your life on something besides this message, you will end up disagreeing vehemently, <laughs> but not loving them passionately, or loving passionately as long as you agree with me and my perspective. 
But the, the story of the Bible is a story of a God who loved us passionately when we denied him, betrayed him, didn't agree with him, basically gave him the middle finger. And yet God continued to love us even when we disagreed with him vehemently. And that becomes the example. And that's the way we're going to decode today, is that even if somebody disagrees with you on something you have a good point on, the Christian perspective is not suddenly becoming a moderate on every single issue. It's allowing you to vehemently disagree with someone while loving them, befriending them passionately in those differences. That regardless of what your perspective is on the issue, that you might debate out, you may agree, you may disagree, you may listen well, not listen well, might be a good conversation, but you know how to read, receive people the way God receives you. Number two, you know how to disagree and come to your convictions without putting yourself in God's golden seat of judgment. And thirdly, you know how to grow in your ability to know when to drop things, <laughs> what things edify and what things build up and what don't. So let's look at those three together. This is the unique thing that Paul's now going to apply. He's talked all about the message of the Bible, Jesus coming to earth to die for sinners like you and I when we disagreed with him. He's now going to apply that in the context of disagreements between Jews and Gentiles in this church, people who grew up with different perspectives and different notions and, and how it applies to the Roman government in all these places. The first thing is, is this red color. He's going to talk about how we willingly receive people, that God forgave us. He gave the red blood of his own life for us when we disagreed with almost everything God was doing. He's going to tell you and I, like he told the Romans, I want you to be receptive be receptive to others who disagree with you. How? They're so wrong! By seeing how God received you. Did God receive you when you disagreed with him on something? When you didn't go his way? When you understand that the God of the universe who's right about everything received you and loved you when you weren't right about a lot of things, that can be the platform by which you can use in your interactions, in your relationships. Here's how he says it. It's in Romans 14. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, who's come to a different perspective, not to disputes over doubtful things, the certain things that we're never going to come to agreement on, and so you don't need to decide who you receive or don't receive over disputes of doubtful things. For one person believes that he can eat all things, and he who is weak thinks he can only eat vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. And we're like, what's the big deal? It sounds like the vegetarians and the, and the meat people are all mad at each other. Well, kind of. It's a little more complicated than that. You see, these were Jews and Gentiles, and they both come to find Jesus as their forgiver. The Jews had grown up under a system of eating only things that are kosher, and they were pretty flabbergasted at the Gentiles who didn't grow up with that rule system. So they had come to the conclusion, it's fine for me to eat certain meats. So there's some debate going on here that's it's practical, it's religious, it's philosophical, it relates to your backgrounds. And Paul's saying, listen, if someone in their own conscience has concluded that it's okay for them to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and you have not come to that conclusion, I want you not to despise the person who's come to a different conclusion. And look at that last line he says here, for God has received him. So first line, receive one. Why? Because God received him. Doesn't mean you think they're right. Doesn't mean they are right, by the way. But you can still receive people who've come to a different conclusion because God received you even when you came to a different conclusion. He worked with you and he dialogued with you. It's interesting, I had a, a friend who came to our church and he saw himself as a very enlightened, uh, open-minded, tolerant person. 
And I was giving a message a couple years ago, and one of the points I made is, here's how you know how tolerant you are. How do you, pe- how do you treat people you don't like who say things you don't like? Anyone can tolerate people they like and who say things that they like. Can you love passionately and befriend and care about people you don't like who believe and think things you don't like? Now, that's a supernatural love. And that's the supernatural love that God uniquely allows us to have when you apply this main message of the Bible. I finished sharing that day, and uh, the family circled back to me and said that uh, there was a lot of a conversation that day after the message because this person was really frustrated that I had defined it that way because though they considered themselves tolerant, they, they didn't like the people they didn't like, and they didn't like the people who believed the things they didn't like, and, and they had to wrestle with whether or not this was really a tolerant love that only tolerates what it wants to tolerate. I think we all do that. So I think the first thing we have to do is we have to overcome the the despise mindset. It's one thing to disagree with somebody else. It's nothing to despise people who've come to a different conclusion. And we may not relate to the people arguing about the vegetarian versus meat or the, the Jewish holiday versus the Gentile holiday, but it's the same thing. Just fill in the blank. Let not him who eats despise him who blank, who parents differently, who's come to a different conclusion on that issue, who makes a different point, who voted for a different person. Let's not despise people, even if you think they're wrong, because God received you, even when you might have been wrong. So that's the red, and that's uniquely, and that's the red uh, is kind of a reminder that Christ died for us. He literally died for these Romans. I mean, these Romans are literally pounding stakes, railroad ties through his hands, through his wrists, through his feet, putting a, a crown of thorns on his head. This isn't like we're just disagreeing on a few small things. I mean, these guys are killing him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, you talk about the gold platinum standard of loving your enemies, Now, I'm not saying Christians do a great job of applying it, but more when you get it right, I want to love the way Jesus loved even my enemies, even people who think it's a good idea to kill me, and I'm kind of coming to a different conclusion here that maybe that's not a good thing to do, right? So next we're going to move to yellow. The unique perspective God offers is not only do we receive people the way God receives us, but, but yellow is that we can come to our own conclusions without putting ourselves in the golden seat of judgment. And this is so fascinating because, again, this doesn't mean you, you're wrong. It doesn't mean you have to change your opinion. Here's what Paul's going to say. Fascinating in this passage. Now, go back one. He's going to say, be fully convinced in your own conscience. I want you to think about why you've come to your conclusion. I want you to be fully convinced. Think about it, push on it, debate it, make sure it's true. Listen to people who have different opinions so you can be fully convinced. Think. He wants you to be a thinker. Be fully convinced in your own conscience about why you've come to whatever conclusion you've come to. However, do it without putting yourself on God's golden place of judgment. Man, that's hard to do. Because either you so I guess it doesn't matter, believe whatever you want. Well, that's not true. The truth matters. So kind of dismissing that all views are equal, that doesn't really help, but that's one solution. The other solution is truth matters and I'm right about everything. (laughs) That doesn't really make for good marriages and relationships. He offers this third way to be able to be fully convinced in your own conscience of why you believe what you believe 
without putting yourself on God's golden place of judgment. Here's how he says it. Again, this, this warring group in the church in Rome. He says, who are you to judge another's servant? And now he's going to again talk about some things going on there between the Gentiles who grew up in the, the Gentile system, and they have certain days they celebrate. And the Jews grew up in the Jewish system, and they had certain days, Pentecost, Passover, um, the Feast of Puran, that they celebrated. So he's going to talk about the differences of opinion they have on which holidays they should celebrate. So one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems a different day alike. But let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So he doesn't say the differences don't matter. He doesn't say that the right answer is in between. He says, whatever conclusion you've come to, I want you to be fully convinced. Now, part of being fully convinced is listening to the other side, understanding uh, the other person's perspective, understanding the weaknesses to your argument and the strengths to your argument. He wants you to be fully convinced in your own conscience as to why you've come to your own conclusions. Be convinced in your own mind. But then he goes on to say... But to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again. To which you're scratching your head like, that, that, to this end? That's, Jesus died and rose again to this end? That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, go on. He says, why do you judge your brother? How is that connected to Jesus dying and rising from the dead? And he goes on. He says, do you show contempt for your brother? Listen, we're all going to one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so we're going to have to give account for our lives and the things we've decided to do and why we've decided to do it. You don't need to be judge of every person because they're going to stand before God and give account for their own life. So Jesus died so that you could understand how he received you, that your own self-centeredness, your own I'm always rightness, right? He died for that kind of stubbornness that's in you, and he died for the stubbornness that's in them, your son, your daughter, your dad, your whatever, your neighbor. And if you understand that Christ died for both of your stubbornnesses and both of the ways that you're blind to where you're wrong, then it allows you to still be fully convinced in your own mind, but without coming to the place of self-righteousness, I'm always right, because you're not always right, because Christ had to die for you because you weren't right. And I'm not smart enough to always know where I'm right. i got to be humble enough to be open to it. In fact, I was talking to a buddy. He said he and his mom always got into debates over you know, CNN versus Fox News. Rawr, rawr, rawr. So every time they got together, he wanted to enjoy some time with his mom. And it just always turned into kind of this battle of barbs, you know. He's like, I, just, I, can't, I, I tell myself I don't want to do it. I get in the situation, I do it again. Do you have any advice? So, well, so what's your goal? Is your goal to have a relationship with your mom? Or is your goal to make a political point? If your goal is to make a political point, well done. Keep it up. If your goal is to have a relationship, you might want to use a different tool. Well, I think I'm tired of fighting. I said, all right, here's the secret. So next time your mom brings up a point you disagree with or whatever it is, I just want you to say, huh, I haven't heard that. And I want you to, instead of thinking this is my chance to tell my mom why she's wrong and why that's propaganda or whatever you want to say, I just want you to imagine that your mom is looking for attention, appreciation, or respect. How can I respect or appreciate somebody who believes such nonsense? Let's imagine the points are relevant for this right now and just say, apparently the only way your mom can get your attention <laughs> is by poking you with this, with this barb, right? So I just want you to reframe this in the context of relationships. So she says whatever she says, you typically go into your counterpoint. I just want you to say, huh, I haven't heard that before. Why is that important to you? And I want you to think about your mom as someone who needs love and respect 
even if you disagree with what she's saying. So I called him up uh, uh, about a month later. I said, how's that going? He's like, well, it's not perfect, but I'm listening better, and I'm hearing my mom's perspective more, and it's changing the dynamics a bit. I said, I bet you haven't changed your opinion. Nope. I bet you she hasn't changed her opinion. Nope. But has it changed the dynamics of your relationship? Yeah, it has. So we need to overcome the despise other people mindset. We also need to overcome the self-appointed judge mindset. That it's my job to be every person's judge and judge every thought and every belief and every perspective they have all the time. It turns us off when other people do that to us. So let's not do it to others. That's what he's saying here. He says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to have to stand and give account for the things you've become fully, fully convinced of. And somebody else is going to have to. That doesn't mean you don't politically work against them or have your own opinions or, or work for certain agendas that you think are true. But in the midst of that, you can still not be a self-appointed judge to despise other people. And you can recognize that all of us are going to stand before God. That's the idea he gets to. Then he, he says his last line, which I think is great. I, I use the color green because I think this is something you grow into, right? And, and some of us are like this high growth, <laughs> this high growth. This is hard to do. He's going to say green. Grow in your willingness to disagree. And growing your willingness to drop issues that don't build up. Even if it doesn't please you to drop it. He's going to pack all that in there. Let me read that again. Grow in your willingness to disagree. Grow in your willingness to drop issues that don't build up, even if you're not pleased that you had to drop it. Let me show you how he says it. He says it real clearly here in these two passages. Therefore, he says, this is a guy who just spent 10 chapters telling us what's right, what's wrong, how we fall short, who's sinner, who's not. I mean, this guy is not lacking black and white thinking. But when it comes to applying it, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, I want you to resolve something. I want you to think about something. I want you to make a commitment to yourself. Resolve this. I'm not going to put a stumbling block or make a cause that somebody else will fall, will stumble. Whatever happens in this dialogue, whatever happens in this conversation, I don't want to make a stumbling block to our relationship here, and I don't want to cause something that's going to make somebody trip and fall. That's how you want to think about your words. And then he says, do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. You've made your argument about food more important than another human being. Your value system, your weighing system, what's important is out of whack when the food, the point, the perspective, the parenting, the politic is more important than the person. Then look what he goes on to say. He says, so Resolve to do that by pursuing something. What, what do we pursue? Pursue certain things in your conversation, your dialogue. Pursue the things that make for peace. And the things which edify one another. And the word edify is a kind of an old Greek term that means to build up. So you think of like your kids building Legos. You know, you're building something up versus tearing them down. When you come into a conversation, what if the goal was to drop issues that don't build up and to eliminate things that tear down. He says it again. Make your perspective. Let each one of you please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Then look at that he throws us in at the end. For Christ did not please himself. I don't want to drop it. I, I don't want to have them, I don't want people walking around my house who have the wrong perspective. It doesn't please me to drop it. It didn't please Jesus to be crucified on the cross either. 
right? That's his whole point. You know, sometimes you do things that don't please you because it's for the good of other people. Jesus dies on the cross. It wasn't good for him, but it was good for us. It's such a fascinating application of how what Christianity offers in a pluralistic society is even if you disagree on something strongly, something that's important, something that you're convinced is true, you can still willingly not put a stumbling block in front of somebody else you care about. The last couple of years, it has been increasingly obvious that we disagree on everything. We disagree on COVID, we disagree on masks, we disagree on politics, we disagree on government. And it's been amazing to see those who've tried to lean in to apply this message to overcome differences. We've had a couple who's been coming for about a year, mostly online during COVID. And they came to very different conclusions on everything related to COVID. Everything that we've heard on a macro scale, they were experiencing on a micro scale. I want you to hear how this couple adapted to one another, prioritized one another in the midst of those differences because of Christ. Let's watch. We were afraid of the virus and we got used to sitting in front of the TV and um, we didn't realize what was missing and my husband was a guy who really valued the interpersonal inter, how to say interactions he mentioned it to me many times he missed going back to church i was the one who holds it back because <laughs> I, I was afraid he respected me so we didn't go but i know that he really wanted to patience was a lesson i benefited from learning as a husband mm. in that you know she didn't have that experience i knew the power of in-person connections and so um, I made mistakes early on, you know, trying to get that out there and like win her over and say like, yeah, I get like not going to other crowded places and events, but I mean, this is church, right? And so when I shifted my focus from what I felt like I knew was best to what scripture says a husband should do and act like, um, I think that gave room for growing together when I was watching the Sunday service, that there was a Saturday event for four critical decisions. And I secretly registered him to, <laughs> without telling him, but he was very happy. He, yeah, he, he finally felt like uh, we had a chance to really go out and interact with people. Since the Saturday event, uh, it's just a breeze of human interactions. It just felt so good. For me, returning to church in person I think was part of a series of changes and that I tried to do intentionally. If I was gonna continue online, I had some way to you know, know that I was doing church the way it was designed, right? And doing my marriage the way it was designed as a newlywed, as I'm learning that. So here's a couple that's newly married. She shared a little bit that she's recently come to be a follower of Jesus. What was so beautiful about that, here's a husband saying, I'm just going to be patient and adapt to my wife's different perspective on COVID. And she's like, well, I know this is important to my husband, so she secretly signs him up to be able to come to church because she prioritized his. It's just a beautiful example of people adapting to one another. It's part of why in the last couple of years, you know, we had tents, we had online services, we had, you know, in person, and because we just know we've all come to different conclusions 
We all feel very strongly about our conclusions, and we're fully convinced of our conclusions, but we can still adapt to loving each other. That's what a community does. I think that's Paul's final point. If you kind of look at the way the Bible's encouraging us to think about this, it's to make the person more important than the point. Doesn't mean your point is as valid as somebody else's point, right? I think ideas should be bombarded with questions and things are, are, some things are more true than others. But we need to overcome this kind of my way or the highway mindset that we come to. And look how he summarizes. He says, let each one of you please his neighbor for his good, leading to his edification. What in this situation is going to build up? It doesn't have to be my way. That's his final point. Again, how do I make the person more important than the point? Are there ways in your relationship that you have not done that? I know I have. He says, make the person more important than the point in this scenario. Do not destroy. That's the opposite of building up, right? Don't destroy. That's the opposite of receiving. With food, whatever the topic is, you've used food, the point, to be important than the one who Christ died for, that Christ loved, the person that God made, the person that is your child or your parent or your friend. And that's not easy to do. But there's something so powerful when you're prioritized as a person. If you ever had somebody do that, you, you go over to somebody's house and just the way they prepared it, they knew your favorite foods, they knew your favorite music. And that's how we make the, the, the person more important than the point. It's like, wow, the power of being prioritized as a person. I am far more than my view on whatever it is. And Jesus could do that. My goodness, could he do that? Jesus is friends with Matthew, the tax collector who works for the Roman government, and Peter, the zealot, who's trying to overthrow the government. And he makes them both disciples. That must have been some interesting conversations. He's hanging out with tax collectors, despised people, who got recruited by the Roman government to tax the very people. They're considered traitors. And he loves wealthy religious leaders. He hangs out with the poorest of poor and the richest of rich. He treats men and women totally different from his culture. And every person who interacts with Jesus is just so struck by how they're prioritized as a person. They're just awestruck by it. It's one of the reasons we've done what we've done during COVID. But even now, you, know, you hear us often talk about stuff like, you know, our blue bags are going on right now. What are we doing? We're trying to prioritize people in our community. We can all debate what we think would help better with the issues of poverty. And we all got opinions, and some are you know, more valid than others and whatever. But in the meantime, we want to help. How do we help prioritize people in our community who are hurting? Maybe you and your family have never filled up a blue bag. It's your way of saying, listen, we want to prioritize the people who are hurting in our community. We, we, want, to, we want to be there for them. We want to help them know that their care, that, that the expression of our Christianity matters. Because Jesus did that. He didn't demonize the poor. He didn't demonize the rich. Christianity brings together this unique way in which Greek and Jew, slave and free, rich and poor come together, understanding that we're all made in God's image. We're all equally in need of his forgiveness. We're equally offered forgiveness, and that's a unifying message despite our differences. And our identity is not defined by any one slice of who we are, but by our creator who made us. We'll talk more about that next week. So number one, when you experience the power of being prioritized as a person, you're like, wow, I can't believe how loved I felt, how cared I felt. I want to do this to somebody else the way, the way somebody did it to me when I went to their house, when they prioritized me. 
There's also a big difference between taking issue with a person versus making the person the issue. You ever seen that difference when somebody just really, instead of making, taking issue with you over a particular subject or a point, they just make you the issue. They, they want to hear your story and what matters to you and what, what your heart and, and the oneness that comes. I had this recently, both in, in a way that I failed miserably at and tried not to. I, I have a friend who's a lawyer, and we have had a very fun relationship. And, you know, there's, there's different love languages. Some people have the love language of gifts. Some people the love language of, of uh, affirmation, some quality time. Well, my friend has a love language of arguing the heck out of stuff. It's a very unique love language. But part of our friendship is he loves that. And he loves when we get together, he and I have come to almost opposite conclusions on everything, and he loves to dialogue. And our friendship is strong enough, and actually he enjoys that fact. But I happened to be passing through town about a year ago, and he said, hey, listen, my wife's come to some different conclusions than you have or I have on X, Y, or Z issue. Please don't bring them up. Wasn't planning on it anyway. We get to dinner, and after his fourth cup of wine, he brings up every single issue he told me not to bring up. I keep deflecting, I keep deflecting, because while he enjoys the gift of arguing, it's a very fun part of our friendship, his wife does not. And I, I knew he was a lawyer, but I'd never seen his lawyering in practice. He put me in the defendant chair on my positions, of which I'm fine to do, because I have thought through my positions, and I'm fully convinced of my positions, but he is interrogating me and dressing me down, and I am seeing it destroy his wife, who's not part of the conversation, while he's having this dialogue that he's used to you and he and I having, and I am getting emotional, he's uh, <laughs> just tearing into me. And again, our friendship's strong enough to, to do that, and we've had many of these conversations. His wife kind of walks past me and says, well, thanks for coming by, Chad. <laughs> I tried to deflect, I tried to deflect. Uh, uh. So I called him about a month ago, I said, hey, let me tell you this, actually, my son-in-law was there. I went up to go to the bathroom. He says, you know, when you went up to go to the bathroom, you know what Russ said to me? I said, what did Russ say to you? He goes, Chad is my best friend. I don't know anyone who will argue with me like this and will give me the time to do this. And man, Chad's smart. He's come to different conclusions. Man, he could defend his positions. This is one of the main things I love about Chad. I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how rough that conversation was. And he is just basking in it because his love language is arguing. But I called him up about a month ago. I said, listen, uh, I know you like to dialogue with that. I don't mind doing it with you, but I think your wife might be a casualty of our conversation. I'm afraid our relationship, that, that you and I doing what you like to do might have hurt my relationship with your wife. So could you check with her? I'd like to call in because I, 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 I did not intend for that to happen. And I <laughs> tried to not make it happen. He goes, yeah, yeah, I went up to bed that night, and she told me I was an SOB for what I did, so I think she saw me as the problem more than you. I said, well, still, I want her to know that she matters to me, and you matter to me, and our friendship matters to me. I think that's what our culture is hungering for. And there's some friendships you can dialogue, you can debate this stuff, right? And it's, it, it builds up that some certain types of friendships. You enjoy that. Other times, everybody else in the room is like, please, no, I'm leaving. Anything else to do? What does it look like for us to look how to please the individual friendships we have, to get around people who bring out the best in us, who challenge our ideas, and to realize that the message of the Bible offers something unique, what the Bible calls oneness. Let me pray for you. Father, we, we thank you for this challenging message, Father. 
We ask for each one in this room, God, that you would uh, just put your finger on a relationship that we have uh, allowed to sour because the point became more important than the person. God, you'll have to be humble people who admit if we've hurt people or we prioritize things wrong or we were insensitive in the way we communicated. God, may your followers be people of peace and humility and people who build up those around us, not tear them down. Father, in all this, we just thank you for um, this place that's yours to explore, that people in this room disagree on religion, we disagree on you, we disagree on prayer, and yet we can come to a place to explore together, to question together, to dialogue together. We just thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, thank you for being here today. We would love to connect with you, by the way. If you're new to the church or just haven't met anyone, the third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to say hi. Or if you're a woman here today, we have a coffee and connection event starting right now. If you head out the doors, go up our big stairs. So as you come in our front door, if you turn right, or in this case, straight ahead, go up to our landing or skybox A. There's a group of women there. just want to connect with you, see if there's ways we can serve you and your family better. Otherwise, we'll see you all next week for the last part of Mastermind.